Greetings, dear, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience, a very warm, open-arm audio embrace and a squeeze. This episode is brought to you by my company, One Circle Media. One Circle Media is a hybrid digital agency and media content creator. We create and design apps, websites, videos, social media content, and physical products. We are artists, directors, designers, producers, coders, editors, thinkers, makers, and creators who embrace story and creativity from design, web and app development, animation, docs, features, TV shows, digital and social media content to physical products. For our clients, we create content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a network, studio, brand, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain, reach out to me at John at OneCircleMedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Working Experience. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on that. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. John, we need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? Man, HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. The state lake ball. Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) They're moving in a different and after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was wow. living his Sexual toenails at his desk. I can't take it anymore. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Working Experience Podcast. I would like to welcome today our very special guest, Jury Love. Uh, Jury is a producer. She is an author. Uh, She does many things in the creative realm, and she's here to talk to us today about uh, as many as we can fit in. So welcome, Jury. Thank you, Matt, for having me on your podcast today. Yes, well, thank you for coming on. Um, So could you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your education, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Hello everyone, my name is Julia Love. I'm originally from Japan. I went to Berkeley College of Music and my major was professional music. And I also went to BU School of Management for Institute for Nonprofit Management and Leadership. Um, currently, I am a musician and I'm an actor, I'm a producer, a journalist, and single mom of two and I have a variety of different things and I do side hustle sometimes in between the gigs, Lyft, Uber, uh-huh. whatever it takes to pay bills. But um, I'm having really great time as a film producer also. And uh, this is really new for me, but um, it's been a wonderful journey. Now, uh, what kind of music do you play? What kind of instruments, that sort of thing? So I play piano. Uh, piano is my uh, main instrument. I started playing piano at age three and I play keyboard. I sing. I have an album out called The Love Frequency. Uh, Love Frequency. It's available on any platform, Spotify. And um, I actually also toured uh, with the singer from the B-52s, Kate Pearson and Grant Parker. Oh, and wow. then Joe Janowitz, I was a part of the national promotional tour and then that time I had two keyboards and melodica and I was singing background um, vocal so it was really fun. So you toured the United States or? Yes, that was the US tour and also I toured as part of kind of a Berkeley uh, promotion as well to go to high school and then uh, performed and then I did a bunch of local gigs obviously uh, Boston, New York um, right after college and then also, I ran nonprofit for 12 years. Uh, it's closed, but it was called Genuine Voices. And I was president and founder. We were teaching music to juvenile offenders in a detention program. Oh, wow. Okay. So you've worn many hats. Yes. Yes. Wait. Okay. <laughs> well, I find that you kind of have to do that in a creative, you know, you got to 
put yourself out there in many different uh, arenas, music, film, you know, whatever it is. I, I found that it, it's kind of funny. Like I found most creative people I've met, they don't just do one thing. They have a variety of things they do. Yes. And um, I think uh, for me, it just variety of different things that I've experienced that is really manifesting in like, say, for instance, filmmaking that I've organized um, nonprofit, like a lot of events and fundraisers and all that organization skill is like coming to like handy when producing the movie and also composing a song uh, for the movies. And then, um, you know, it's all like people skill, like I'm, I'm a journalist as well, and I've never studied studied journalism, but right. I became a journalist three years ago. And it's all about like people skill uh, that I developed over the years. And you're right, like you know, a lot of creative people I also met have different um, things going on in their lives. Yes, yeah, including as you say the side hustles because you gotta being in a creative industry doesn't pay a lot of money. <laughs> Rarely ever does. But, yeah, uh, and it was interesting because the pandemic hit and then all my modeling gigs, acting gigs, and music gigs shut down right. and I had income. So I ended up doing Uber Eats and then I did like thousands of deliveries to pay my bills. So I ended up not having an unemployment check because I was doing pretty well, really busy with the Uber Eats yeah. uh, as an essential worker. So it worked out well. And yeah. then actually doing Lyft Uber in between the gigs. So for instance, I had an hour today that I was able to do Lyft. And yesterday I had a, a COVID test in production like all day from 8 a.m. to midnight. But I had like an hour window that I was yeah. able to make some money doing those uh, side hustles as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, can you tell us, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different things to talk about, but could you tell us a little bit about... Um, well, since we know each other because of this film that you produced that our mutual friend, Kathy Ann Hart, wrote and acted in, she starred in it, was one of the starring roles, which is not easy to do. Uh, so could you, since that's our connection, could you talk a little bit about how one goes about producing a short film? Sure. So first of all, I truly appreciate the opportunity for me to produce The Mediator that we um, put together uh, in October. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, that experience was fantastic. It was five day shoot. And we had um, uh, several locations, some were filmed at my place, and some were in Foxborough, uh, library and a bar restaurant called Conrad's and some Airbnb um, and we had amazing actors and then we had really really great people that worked on this film really hard and it was just um, obviously in every film that I produced this was my seventh film that I produced mm. and, and um, it has so much um, you know, elements to it. But as a producer, my main concern is the safety of everyone and happiness and then making sure all the locations and timings and um, every aspects are in place. So I was actually proud one day that I didn't even have to be on the set because of the capacity of the location. And I was really, really proud in a way that, um, oh, I put everything together. So probably like, you know, it's a good sign that, you know, it's like autopilot almost that day. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really behind the scene um, of organizing actors, Koshi and the locations, getting permission from the town of Foxborough, um, you know, filling out the paperwork, um, you know, talking to friends and then getting props and costumes and just uh, networking with people um, and like background actors like you know just for instance I was at the vendor fair and then this uh, vendor uh, Tom and Sue they were very enthusiastic about film world and then oh do you want to come like in two days to do the background work and they came and they helped us and <laughs> so it's really um putting the words out and then manifesting the vision. And then when I read the script, um, I really uh, have so much respect for the writer. And then Kathy Ann's work is brilliant. Um, 
and I just want to stay absolutely true to the words. And um, as a producer, sometimes, you know, especially independent film, you wear so many hats that um, I've seen some conflict between the director and producer, but I think it's completely uh, different artistic direction that as a producer, you have to really back off of, you know, the creative side of it and they respect the writer. And then, so that's really my goal. The only thing I suggested was a small, tiny things in the script. But other than that, like I really try to stay out of the artistic side of writing but really producing what's inside of the script and then how can you um, put everything in the script together into film and that's really amazing rewarding part of producing the film yeah i find i mean my thought on it is you know if if i like the script and i loved kathy's script and that's why i wanted to get involved but you know, after that, I, you know, it's not my script. If I'm, you know, you and, and I do an extent to what, you know, it's like, we're producing her work, not my work. Like, I sometimes I want to say to people, because I, I write myself and I've done a few short films. And when people start suggesting things, I mean, you do have to be open minded. But it gets to a point sometimes where I'm like, well, if you want to write a script, go write a script. I mean, if you don't like my script, Go write your own script. So I think your attitude is is instructive. Like once you've decided this is what we're doing, then you know your job is to produce it. So that uh, I think anybody out there who wants to produce should take that as a lesson, not to interfere too much. But um, I know it's funny. Like when people talk about like what does a producer do, it occurred to me. I'm like, well, they literally produce the movie, like a chef produces a meal they put everything together and they you know it's like here you go so it, it is a i guess it's probably the most important job on a film set to get it all together yeah and then again um this was my seventh film as i mentioned before but my first short film that i produced uh before the pandemic it was called sweet wind just got selection of uh, official selection for jersey Shore film festival mm -hmm. and we are getting some award i think and then oh, we are invited for the award ceremony on uh, november 21st so uh this was the first my attempt it was two day shoot and it was written by paul kandarian who is a former boston globe writer brilliant writer and it was about father and son story and when i read it i'm like oh my gosh can i please produce it so <laughs> prior to that i was producing tv shows at fox for cable access as a volunteer yep. and i have four tv shows that i'm producing currently and then one is called what's up and then it's fox for youth production and it's all done by kids who are well, um, under 18 years old doing editing reporting direct directing um camera all that stuff and i'm very proud to say some of the youth that we trained were involved in the film as well as a pa and then i also uh, just produced last year feature length movie which kathy young was uh playing as a detective and it just came out the trailer on imdb and then we're just trying to uh, put the premiere and i did 248 film project as a producer team leader and then i won um grand prize as a female uh, producer. Uh, it was given by a woman in you know, TV and film, uh, TV and video, New England. Uh, mm -hmm. So the uh, group has been very supportive of my work and networking event with other female uh, producers, director, writers, and then um, it's been very empowering. And in fact, um, this industry, especially um, director, producer positions, are dominant by uh, dominated by male. And then uh, this organization um who are networking with all the other women producers and director and when i go on the set yesterday i was on this uh major feature film set and the director was female very young talented lady and i was watching her how her assertive kind of attitude and the kindness and love uh, throughout the production was very admirable. So I feel like, you know, breaking through this industry as a female producer director sometimes has some challenges, but uh, there are some talented uh, female producer director that I met on the set. And then um, 
so um, I think it's really interesting to learn uh, this industry. Uh, I was doing a lot of modeling and acting growing up uh, since 17 in Tokyo as a fashion model. And then I've done a lot of um, gigs in, I have an agency called Model Club, which Kathy Ann Hart is also signed with. And um, so I was, be, I was in front of the camera most of my life. And then last year or prior to, I said to be both behind the camera and in front of the camera. So that aspects of both side, I think it's really helping me to be uh, able to kind of put together these films. And the feature film that I did called Go Chase Yourself last year, we had about 130 people involved and then a lot of people came to help out to put kayaks and horses and the boat. It was like so much going on, actions and um, police cars. And it was like chase scenes and it was dead body. It was so much going on. So it's like so much fun making it. And I just really, really love the people that I meet through the set and they're passionate and the actors um very very talented people that like i'm like i almost like make me cry even like during the film so it's it's really wonderful well it's really great how you know just doing the short film i did in 2018 that's where i met kathy ann and met a lot of other people and they know people and so with a film like this, I knew Kathy Ann would be able to get a great team together because it's like, especially in Boston, people just know each other. It's always like, oh, I know somebody who can do that. I, oh, we need a sound guy. All right, let me, let me send an email over here. Let me, and you just get a great team together and people are very enthusiastic and they really want to help out. And it's wonderful. It's just such a nice atmosphere. Yes, absolutely. And then I just want to shout out to Boston 48 Hour Film Project as well, which I've done twice. And um, through the 48, like I learned so much um, for people who have never done 48 Hour Film Project who are interested in doing it, I highly recommend it. You get genre on Friday 7pm and you have to put everything together and submit the film by Sunday 7pm. And then both times we our film got top 16 mm. and then we got nominated for several uh, categories and then I won the prize twice. Uh, so it's really amazing experience learning um, in two days, very intense, but um, every aspect has to come together. But um, I really appreciate the opportunities and I really appreciate people now starting to recognize me as a producer that uh, I'm um, getting some requests, uh, people send me some script and then mm -hmm. like ask feedback or uh, you know ask me to produce or maybe I, I approach somebody to uh, produce their films and then it's really amazing, um, love, supportive, passionate group of people that I'm like getting to know of. I found as long as you do what you say you're going to do, because this industry does have a lot of people who they have good intentions and they have these big plans and everything. And then you never really hear much again. So, I mean, I, I did this in New York and then, you know, up here and whatnot. So uh, I've, I've learned to, you know, people like to say this and that, and then I like to say like, okay, well, what have you done? Like, let me, or, like, do you show up to set on time every day? Are you willing to be there at 5 a.m. on a Sunday? Because that starts to weed out the people who, they like the idea of it, but now nah, they're not going to be there at 5 a.m. on a Sunday. And it's great to find those people who are. Yes, absolutely. And to be honest, um, the past year, it's been amazing because... Um, I've done about 10 feature films as uh, mostly background actor, but also the principal actor for the movie that's coming up on Netflix in December. And um, long days, like 5.30 a.m., like, you know, mm -hmm. an hour and a half drive, or sometimes like Hollywood, I went to do Shang-Chi in Hollywood, mm -hmm. and I got a call um, when I was on the set for Dexter uh, to be photo double for Miss Michelle Yao, and then I got wow. a ticket and then showed up on time the next day at 11 <laughs> yep. uh, 1.30 and then uh, got this amazing Marvel Studio movie and you know I got to be a standing and photo double um, for at the Paramount Studio and then it just like opportunities comes and goes and you just have to show up 
and even producing the film or being as an actor, you like it just happens so quickly mm-hmm. and you have to be ready. I have suitcase ready to fly. So tomorrow, yeah. if Star Wars wants me to be <laughs> uh, in Dubai, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. yes, but that's yeah. really the spirit. And then to be honest with you, like lack of sleep, um, you know, putting a wardrobe together and then being healthy and just, you know, have a really professional attitude on the set and then everything that, you know, is presentable. Uh, that's really coming from the discipline. And, you know, I really think that a lot of stars in this industry deserve so much credit for um, working so hard. People have no idea how it takes to produce this 15 seconds of segment of movie, how the people are involved. And then so many people are like working so hard to produce that moment. And that's really what I really love about this industry that people who are watching movie have no idea, but as a producer, as you know, that, you know, it takes so much out of the community effort, people's effort, and that makes it so special. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously watched movies my whole life, but it wasn't until I worked as a grip and, you know, did my own movies that you realize, like, how challenging it is just to get what seems like a very simple thing. It's like, God, that must have taken hours but that's how you find out who wants to do it and who, you know, doesn't really, or, I mean, that's what Magisha was our director, who's a wonderful human being. And I met him on, on my short film. He came through Kathy and he was just such a great guy. I mean, he was there every day before call time, looking things over. He worked with the actors and I didn't even know him. And he was just such a powerful presence on set. And, you know, I, I've worked with him a little bit since we did a podcast. And then when Kathy mentioned him directing, I thought that that would be wonderful if he could do it. And uh, I was I was really happy he was involved. He's a great guy. Yes. So um, I think every director, writer, um, I've seen so many cases where writer, director are the same person. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but the writer and the director are a different person. Like I've seen different scenarios and situations. Right. And then and the creative minds and then uh, directing it for somebody else's work is really hard. But, you know, in this case, I think Mugisha did such a wonderful job of putting all the potentials of essences of actors and then the moment in the script together. And then I think you will be very proud to see how it all came together mm-hmm. and then how really Mugisha put every actor's uh, emotional side of it together. Um, not really overpowering it necessarily, but really um, trying to live in the moment in the script Um, And then that's really the game because the script is just words. (laughs) And then you just have to feel engaged in a real, and in order to do that, director's job is really, really get actors like emotions and situations like from zero to 200 in one moment and every takes, and then that's really hard job. So I am a, as a producer more, People work behind the job, behind the scene, behind like you know, everything to it together. But when it comes to directing and then working with the actor, it's a completely different animal. Yep. And, you know, I really appreciate the team and I appreciate everyone's roles. And then DP, um, Edward did a really great job too. And his team did a great job. And Odio Ryan was awesome. Our PA Gus was really great. And then everybody involved in this movie, a short film, um, I really appreciate it. And then the um, people who opened their houses and then the restaurants and then the facilities for us uh, generously. uh, That was really, really amazing. Yeah, people are really willing to do that. It's it's really gratifying. Um, So uh, could you, you're also an author. Could you tell us about your book? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for asking that. So my book is called A Gift from Adversity. It came out last year and it's been about five years uh, of work since the conception of the idea of writing uh, my book. 
and a gift from adversity is available on Amazon, Barnes Nobles, um, eBooks is available as well on Apple platform. Um, it became um, Amazon new Amazon number one new release last year in all three categories, uh, like self help, um, abuse, like PTSD. So my book is about my survival story of child being child sex abuse survivor. Uh, from my father in Japan, and homelessness, bullying, domestic violence, and it jumps from um, my prologue, which was in Dead Sea in Israel, uh, where I felt it was really the bottom of the earth, and I felt very depressed after my first divorce, and then uh, really reflecting my life, and then it jumps to chapter one, where I received an award from Boston Celtics called Heroes Among Us. So I was surrounded by 17,000 people standing ovation, getting this trophy uh, at the center of coat, and that's chapter one. And then the reason why, and it jumps back to Japan where I was born and raised and then being this dysfunctional family where I escaped from my father, the perpetrator, and then my uncles uh, who were sexually abusing me physically as well uh, at age 13 and decided to live with my mom. And um, then it just connects towards the end of um, how I ran nonprofit, more of like, you know, how to survive, how to part. And I talked um, really bluntly about sexual, like sex addiction that I suffered and then um, void and a lot of women especially asian women we don't talk about these kind of things because of uh judgmental things shame going to counseling i talked about emdr uh eye movement desensitized movement processing to help the ptsd which i've never learned but i think it's really empowering that um um I can tell you an example that um, I've got uh, contact or email messages from women who are in domestic violence situations in Texas or Virginia, uh, random people. And then I have so many people after publishing my book, A Gift from Adversity, um, confessing to me that they are also part of the Me Too movement and then whether female or male, that um, I had no idea they were the victim of sexual abuse and then they started to tell me so much stories of like you know who was the perpetrator how unfair it was and when i actually signed with my publisher book logics in georgia atlanta before the pandemic um they asked me like what do you want to do with your book after you publish and i said i want to do a book tour which didn't really happen because of the pandemic but i want to do more motivational speech which i was doing prior to it prior to publishing the book. Um, then people asked me, do you have a book? And I said, no, I don't have a book. So I'm like, oh, where, where can I read my story, uh, your stories and stuff? So that's how I really got inspired to write my book and I shared it. But anyways, um, part of it, when I told the publisher is, you know, I want to create a platform where people feel safe to talk about sexual, sexual abuse and be part of the Me Too movement. But more so, I want to educate uh, potential perpetrator, maybe parents, um, that the hard data shows each popular perpetrator carries six victims. Um, so if you really target um, victims, the number is larger than the perpetrator. So that's one of the reasons why I did the nonprofit Genuine Voices to teach music to juvenile offenders in the boy facilities because um, you know, I was hoping that through teaching self-esteem and tangible, measurable outcome to promote the resilience, that we can reduce the recidivism and we can really help to concept, uh, change the concept of, you know, being, um, like, you know, kind of like, you know, vulnerable situation. However, how can you turn into the kindness and love instead of attacking people committing another crime. So that was like really my main goal. So through publishing my book, I talked about that work. And I talked about why um, this work was important to me. But um, it's more so um, telling my story as a Japanese female came to America and then had her career and then meeting these people, uh, nonprofit work. Um, I, I don't have much of film work because uh, when I published it wasn't doing way too much film work, but um, 
you know, it's sharing my true authentic um, story that happened to me. And it's really sad, but at the same time, I thought it was, I, I felt really compelled uh, to tell my story. Do you, do you feel that you having the, you know, the courage and the generosity to tell your story that helps and continues to help other people to tell their story? Yes. Um, I really truly believe so. Uh, just um, listening to people, uh, messaging me, uh, like, you know, privately, like random people, as I mentioned, I had a wonderful book signing event in September in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, and when people came to my table, and then some uh, people shared their stories and then appreciated me. There's one Asian girl who came and then she really appreciated me writing this book, especially like um, I'm actually part of the gala of the Asian Task Force Against Domestic Violence in Boston. And we were talking about how us as a woman in Asian country are trained to serve men and trained to obey men, whatever the situation it is, or stick it out. And our parents even say that. So how can we change that? And how can we have a voice and advocacy? So to me, this book, I Give From Adversity, is more so advocating myself and other people. And then again, creating a safe platform that even one conversation can maybe change because I've had some people who told me, especially at motivational speech gig, um, like they've never told anyone but me. And they felt comfortable talking to me because I'm really open uh, public about it. Well, it seems like people need to talk about it to understand it's not their fault. Like there's, they don't have anything to be ashamed of. Correct. And, and then in my book, I always, um, I said that the perpetrator should be muted and ashamed and embarrassed, not us. But right. most of the time, victim feels ashamed and embarrassed, and especially going to counseling, um, talking to people. Why would you be embarrassed and ashamed? And that's just, you know, how the victim mind works and how sometimes perpetrator brainwash you if you tell somebody will kill you like you know like you know maybe we will attack like you know these people so and you know i'm actually part of the rotarian at fox rotary and then we did human trafficking summit and i um as a journalist i was able to interview some of the victims or of sexual assault or human trafficking like the victim and then you know a lot of people uh the victims especially say that that you know perpetrator brainwashes they brainwash you a lot that you know they get threatened and you know just um they get muted and then that is why i thought it was important for me to publish this book that um it has to be completely a flip that we should have a voice and we should be able to tell the story it's almost like oh you know, I had cancer, I'm a cancer survivor. Why can't I say I'm a survivor of sexual abuse? Right. And, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something that happened to me and happened to a lot of people. Mm. But how can we prevent it? So the past obviously cannot be, um, you know, changed. But the future, my kid generation, and then, you know, creating this awareness may be able to prevent more cases. Well, it seems one that I've heard is that a perpetrator will tell a victim nobody's going to believe you. And that, and that creates a sense of shame and guilt and it's their fault. And, you know, it, it perpetuates that silence when, as you say, the victim is not the one who should be silent. Matt, you're 100% correct. And in my case, I had some people who didn't believe me. Mm -hmm. And then that led me to uh, attempt of suicide. Um, so it really hurts. It's almost like second and third wave of shocks, not the initial rape or assault, but people around you that people do not believe your story. Right. And how can you convince them? Like, it's really hard to even like open up about it. Right. And you're violated. But I think it's really important for our society to understand that this exists, especially in 80s incest, like never talked about, but recently Me Too movement 
and then you know in Japan it's very very recently it's, we are so behind than the United States um, to talk about this but I think it's important that you know when things happen unfortunately that there's a um, cushion and support system in our society that more people talk about it is very important I, I can give you an example in the town of Foxborough where I live they have child sex abuse awareness committee what they meet every month and what happened was one of the um, unfortunately the leader of our um, town in the 80s um, sexually abused like you no know, dozens of boys and then when they became adult they came forward so to prevent this they created this awareness committee that now every employee in town of Foxborough must go through darkness to light training and without that training to identify, prevent, um, they are not going to be employed. So it's a mandatory training, which is really amazing to me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if something like that was happening, um, obviously um, this never happened. Right. Was it hard to write the book? Um, very emotional, especially the part that I was uh, getting sexual abuse. I was crying and then typing and then almost re-experiencing the whole thing. So it was definitely hard. Yeah, I, I can imagine. So that has, is that part of your, the work you do as a motivational speaker? Um, so before pandemic, I had uh, several gigs, but after the pandemic, I haven't had many. So if anyone's looking for it, uh, I would love to. Um, I'm, and, but I was on, I've been on different podcast platforms uh, during the pandemic via Zoom. I was interviewed by uh, different people. Um, so not in person yet, but hopefully. Uh, so that's one of the things that I did. So what, what, was, um, what was your direction as a motivational speaker? Like what, what would you talk to people about? So each speaking event had different theme and different, um, you know, agenda. So I cater to their needs. But like, say, one time I was uh, invited as adult education, just bring awareness to what happened and survival stories. Uh, I remember one time there's an organization called Team where uh, they train women who just came out from prison to uh, train for re-entering in a community. So I was a guest speaker for them directly. And then I was just saying about my uh, experience being being a homeless or a victim and how I kind of came out and then what kind of tools that I used uh, to survive through that. So again, it's, it really depends on the organization's missions and then uh, the you know events. Um, Oh, college. I've done the college talk or high school. And, you know, one time I was invited to English class as a journalist. And then what's the important thing as being a journalist. Um, and then I was at um, Wheelock College where um, I was asked to talk about juvenile detention center because they were uh, studying about intro to juvenile delinquent, like no kind of system. So I shared my experience about working in DYS system. Um, so it really depends. Okay. Okay. Um, so what about the, um, I know you're an ongoing thing you have is the, uh, the Fox, it's called around Foxborough. Is that right? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I have been involved with Foxborough Cable Access where I volunteer as a producer, assistant producer and co-host. So right now I'm involved with five different shows. And then one of the show is called Around Foxborough where we invite people twice a month in a 30 minutes talk show. And I co-host um, once a month and then um, I just book guests. And then I think I booked maybe 300 people. And now after, before the pandemic, we were doing everything in studio interview, but uh, during the pandemic we did Zoom and now we are doing the Zoom. So that um, really expanded our guest appearance from California, Oklahoma, like mm -hmm. you know, Florida. So we have in, uh, wonderful inspirational guests uh, come to our show and then we do 30 minutes interview. And then we have great post-production team that uh, people send B-roll. Um, and then we broadcast in Foxborough, Comcast and Verizon. And then we upload the interview on fcatv.org website. Oh, okay. And what kind of like, were there any guests that kind of stand out that you interviewed recently or like what kind of people come on the show? 
Um, so I just hosted uh, two guests uh, this past Monday, and then one is um, one who talked about Foxborough Discretionary Fund and Food Pantry in our town and how it started, and then what kind of help they're looking for, and what kind of service they're providing. And also, Asian Task Force uh, co-exec director, Christina Ayala came on the show, and they talked about their work. But um, again, variety, like you know, variety of people, we had actors come, artists come, community leaders come. Uh, one time I was hosting Congressman uh, Arkin Klaus, and then our town manager, Bill Keegan, and then uh, town developer uh, Paige Duncan to talk about $3 million budget that is approved by the White House to uh, have a traffic light for the development um, 16 acres that's approved for um, affordable housing units. Mm. Um, so we talked about how it's got approved and then what will be the pros and cons of having this traffic light um, of specific intersection in our town. And then, um, so I do right and then especially like during the election period, um, town election, I interviewed a lot of candidates and also Congress, um, our District 4, Massachusetts uh, District 4. Uh, I interviewed a lot of Congress uh, main candidates. Mm -hmm. uh, so it gave me a lot of platform. It's giving me a lot of platform to talk to leaderships um, and different views. So it's very um, interesting. Yeah, I like things like that. Like, why is there a traffic light there? I, I'm always kind of interested in those kind of details that nobody really thinks a lot about, but it's like, who makes those decisions? Like, how does that come about? How does that happen? Yeah, I just find that very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. Go ahead. And I'm, uh, I'm actually doing three other TV shows. Um, one I mentioned earlier, it's called What's Up. We have about 50 episodes where kids go to different events and interview people. We have wonderful animation introduction and then introduction made by high school student, Teddy Jarrett. And then um, I have another show called Legalese where attorney Nick Gordon is a writer director. And then he talks about American legal system in kind of SNL style, like comedic style, but very educational. And I have Alison Killam. Um, she has, uh, she worked for Disney, Warner Brothers, amazing CGI animator that she has her live art show that uh, she demonstrates her art. So I'm producing that. And then I'm helping JB Line where uh, Japanese Bostonian um, that they do how to uh, navigate life in America. So I produced four shows so far, say for instance, how to buy coffee at Starbucks or how to use Lyft, um, how to buy car. So um, I helped to host actually, and then produce the shows. So those are the shows that I'm involved right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's all very informative. <laughs> that's great. So what, if you were to take journalism, being an author, being a producer, being a musician, being an actor, kind of all that, uh, we'll say, creative career. What do you find most, like not which one do you like the best, but what, what do you find most fulfilling about being able to pursue that? Um, Matt, I, I have a completely different maybe idea of do, doing these creative things. Um, and it really all ties into opportunities and my philosophy opportunity is not given if you're not capable of doing it. So I'm really open-minded. I don't have any particular favorite ones, but in my day, you know, when I was like my editor calls and asked me to go here to cover the story and then, or produce this or anything or act, okay, go on the set today or tomorrow. I'm just really uh, grateful for the opportunity and the way of mu music, you know, I have like, you know, gigs, you know, can you play piano at this place? I'm like, yeah, of course I'll go. I've done a, a lot of like actually political, um, like fundraiser event to play uh, different occasions, obviously. But um, to me, I don't have any favorites, but more so like organic um, sense that I'm 45 right now, that everything I've done in my life is coming together in a way that people believe me, people trust me, people think 
I'm reliable person, which mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I show up, like you said, and then, you know, be able to execute the job. And I really, truly appreciate every single opportunities that comes to my way. And I rarely say no to it unless otherwise I have like conflict. I, I had four movie that I turned down one week. It was so much conflict. So, which is <laughs> a great sign. But, um, you know, I think um, my hard work, harvesting all these things, even nonprofit work that I've done 12 years, the people that I met, like refer me to different things. I do translation work too. Um, so I just, like just whatever comes to today or tomorrow, like I will just take it and appreciate. That's my attitude. Yeah, it must be great to have that variety of opportunities. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people have maybe one or less. So you you have a lot of avenues there. That's great. Yeah, I'm really um, grateful. My day is never the same and every day is different. And I don't think I can do nine to five job, to be honest. I'm really like creative, passionate. And I do single songwriting and then all these experiences um, come to songwriting or writing or blogging. I have an interesting story that I was doing blog uh, in Japanese and then the Japanese TV show, two of the Japanese TV show uh, read my blog and thought it was interesting and then so the TV crew uh, flew to America and they uh, followed me 10 days and then created my life story in 2017 and I was viewed 7 Point five million by seven point five million people. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot of exposure. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So uh, you never know who is reading your blog or no. no, Actually, being a journalist, um, we have thirty, forty thousand guaranteed subscribers. So it's a lot of pressure for me. But yeah. at the same time, you know, like I said, some of the heavy topics that people cannot talk about. But because I'm maybe female reporter, like I had. Um, I covered a story about the girl who had leukemia or, you know, the rape uh, or like, you know, happy story too, a disease. Uh, I just covered the story about Phila McDonald uh, syndrome. It's very rare. Uh, chromosome 22 is deletion and it's just like very rare disease um, that I covered. So to give a voice to those people who want who need, deserves advocacy, um, it's very empowering. Same as filmmaking, you know, some of the film, like, you know, people don't understand the world of the mediator, uh, of, you know, different roles. And then we get to live through storytelling. And that's really what I'm grateful about. I have this platform to be able to be their voices um, through my work. So that's really empowering to me. Yeah, that's what I loved about Kathy Ann's script. It was such a different world, and it was told from her perspective, and I guess some of her experiences. And uh, I told her she had this word "jamet" in there, and I was like, "What does that mean?" I looked it up on Google. I couldn't find it, and she told me what it means. And I was like, "Oh!" And that—that's what I loved. We're like, "Wow!" I don't know if it actually made it into the movie or not, but I was like. I always love things that come from a different perspective. I mean, as you said, it, it is very male dominated. And I, I like to, you know, I like to see other perspectives. Like we've already seen that one a lot. So maybe we hear from another voice and we get a different perspective, something more interesting, more insightful, you know, whatever it is. So, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And then, um, I, again, um, when I produced Sweet Wing, it was about father and son story. And it was a beautiful story of this son who's workaholic. And then, um, you know, he used to be, the father used to be. But basically, um, it's, a, it's a really sweet story to, for, the, for the father to show the son how time is important. Um, and... It, it was just so wonderful. So again, uh, we live all these moments and then through writing, um, producing the movie. And I think what I like about movie um, a lot is that you, we can captivate a lot of audience and views by visual and the music and the emotions and then set design and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, and then obviously like editing, 
but you know no matter what's going on in your life like today maybe somebody's going through a very difficult day loss um adversities you name it but when you watch that movie for 20 minutes or an hour or whatever you just completely escape from yeah. whatever is going on and be able to live through the characters lives and then learn from it and then be entertained and i think that's what um i'm proud of as a producer to be able to provide those moments in their lives to uplift maybe like one of the days that maybe it's not going well and sometimes you realize like what i'm going through is not that bad or i get an idea of how to deal with it and you know it's like okay i can deal with this it's all right it's not you know it's not the worst thing whatever it is i'm dealing with you know, it's funny, those connections, because I know Paul Kandarian very well. He was in the movie I did in 2018, and he's been on the podcast, and we did some videos together. So I hadn't really made that connection. That So again, like that's why I love this community, because everybody kind of seems to know each other, or they know somebody who knows that person. And like you worked with Kathy Ann on that other film, and she said, I know this great producer, and I trust Kathy Ann's judgment. She's one of the most capable people I know. So I know she's not going to bring you in. If you, So it's wonderful to have somebody when you trust their judgment that much. I was just like, look, whoever you need, get them. I'm not going to second guess anything because you guys have a lot more experience than I do. So um, yeah, I really love that about, about this whole thing. It's really nice. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Well, Jerry Love, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I know our audience is going to get a lot out of this. And it was wonderful chatting with you. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Matt, on your show. And have a wonderful day. All right. You too. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media. If you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build engage and entertain your audience reach out to me at john at onecirclemedia.com i would love to hear from you and that's it the end the sweet end until our next audio encounter